0: Can you trust your Bible? Is it really the Word of God or just something man came up with? Examine the evidence with us next on Abounding Grace. This is- For me. Welcome once again to Abounding Grace with our pastor and teacher, Ed Taylor. We'll be in John chapter 13 today. Maybe you share this common experience. A friend or family member has some questions about the Bible, like, how can you trust it? Is it the Word of God Almighty? And perhaps you really struggle to come up with an answer. Well, over the course of the next few programs, we'll set out to show you why you can trust your Bible. And there's plenty of evidence.
1: Take your Bibles, open them to John's Gospel, chapter 13. We are studying through the Gospel of John. If you're not a normal note taker, today is one of those Bible studies where you're going to want to take some notes. We're going to pause in our regular verse by verse study in John and we're going to ask and answer the question, or really, we're going to ask the question, can you trust your Bible? And I'm going to answer it why you can trust your Bible. And the title of our study today is Why You Can Trust Your Bible, Part 1, and the reason is because there's ample evidence that the Bible you hold, the translation you hold in your hand, is accurate and reflects the original autographs inspired by God. In John chapter 13, notice in verse 18, they're around the table, Judas is about to betray Jesus. And Jesus says something very significant. And it caught my eye as I was going through in Bible study and really believed that we needed to pause here. Because I searched through all the Bible studies I've taught here over the last many years, 16 years, and while I've taught some of these things in various places where they are appropriate in our regular Bible study, I haven't taught, except for the exception of a new believer class, I haven't taught this Bible study in its entirety from the pulpit. And I wanted to do that for you today. Why you can trust your Bible? Because of the evidence. Now, in verse 18, Jesus says something. He says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. That's an important phrase. When he is identifying the betrayer, He identifies the betrayer by quoting the scriptures. And he quotes in Psalm 41. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. David wrote Psalm 41. And he wrote Psalm 41 from a personal experience in his life. Ahithophel had turned on him and betrayed him. And he wrote it down in the psalm. And little did he know that when he was writing down his personal experience, that he was being inspired by God to write that down for all eternity. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but his words will never pass away. For all eternity, David wrote in Psalm 41, little did he know that it would be prophetically fulfilled by Judas right here. And Jesus, when he's describing the situation, quotes the scriptures. Notice also in verse 19... Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, that you may believe that I am he. Not only does he quote the scriptures, but he uses the scriptures and, and to turn around and say, now I'm going to tell you things ahead of time. That's prophecy. I'm going to tell you things that are going to happen ahead of time, so when they happen, you'll believe. And the Bible is filled with this. It's a very important statement that Jesus makes, because in it, he's telling us, Jesus says, that he trusts the scriptures and that he believes in them. Today we refer to the scriptures as the Bible. And the scriptures that Jesus is referring to here in this moment are the Old Testament, what we know as the Old Testament. But we'll learn in our study next time that Jesus also, not only does he claim the inspiration of the Old Testament, but also he infers the inspiration of the New Testament. And we'll get to that in another study. But here Jesus tells us very simply that he believes in the authority of the Bible that he believes in the inerrancy of the Bible. That's a fancy word to to, to mean that the Bible is without error. And he also believes in the infallibility of the Bible, which means that it doesn't make mistakes. It's infallible. And while many treat the Bible, I mean today, many people, believer and unbeliever alike, treat the Bible with reverence and respect, only true believers of Jesus submit their lives to its very teachings and live their lives according to the scripture. Now the bible is under attack today. It has been for some time. Really it has been from the garden of Eden. But there is an attack and it's it's an interesting attack. It doesn't end, it seems to increase. There are those the critics and skeptics outside of the church, but then there is this whole thing going on among believers. Uh, among seminary professors and those that just spend their whole time arguing about things. There's an attack from both within the church, unfortunately, and of course we would expect it from without. But it's nothing new. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, I counted no less than 11 times this phrase, God said. 11 times. Then in chapter 3, Right, I mean, the very, the third chapter, I should have counted how many verses, but man, it didn't take but three cha- two full chapters, that chapter 3, verse 1, says this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. This is after 11 times, God said, God said, God said, all throughout the creation account, the interaction with Adam and Eve, God said, God said, now the serpent's more cunning Then any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Has indeed God said? Questioning the word of God. Putting it into the light that God really didn't say what what he said. And that goes on even to this day. The Bible, it literally means, the word means book. It comes to us from the Greek biblos and from the Latin biblia. It is the book that contains the faith that's once for all been delivered to the saints. You can find that in Jude chapter 1, verse 3. The faith, once and for all, delivered to the saints. It's found in the scriptures. The revelation of God. The revelation of who God is. The revelation of how God wants his creation to relate to him. The revelation of the love of God. His sacrifice on your, on your behalf. Giving to to us the solution to the greatest problem in life, our sins. Now the Bible, as you hold it today, is made up of 66 books. 39 books make up what we know as the Old Testament. And 27 books make up what we know as the New Testament. It's a fascinating collection of books. It was written over a span of about 15 to 1600 years. It's a long time. 66 books by 40 different authors from all sorts of walks of life, from shepherds to kings to military generals. It was written in three different languages. The Old Testament is primarily written in the Hebrew language, and portions of it in the Aramaic language. The New Testament, written in the common first-century Koine Greek language, and that's what they were writing as they were writing the autographs or the original copies. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It was written on three different continents. And yet, throughout the scriptures, there are no contradictions and one consistent unifying theme. Now, of course, this statement, there are no contradictions, Many times when you're sharing with people and you're talking to them about your faith, you're talking to them about the Bible, you're talking about a scripture you want to share with them, you'll get the response, won't you? Oh, I don't believe in the Bible. It's filled with contradictions. And it's just so general and it's made so confidently. And, and I normally have a Bible with me when that, when that statement is made. And I love to open it. I turn it around and I say, show me. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I googled it, man. I don't know if there's any. I don't know. I just heard that from someone. I don't. Well, show me a contradiction. Well, I, I'll have to go look it up. Well, you do. You go look it up. Because as you study the scriptures, there are certainly some challenging things found in the Bible, for sure. And there are even some numbers in different places that don't line up, but don't amount to a contradiction, but rather a copyist error over the years. You see, we don't have the original, what's referred to as the original autographs. We don't have any of the originals. But what we have are reliable copies, as you'll see in a moment, over the years. And the Bible is not without, not without a few challenging things, for sure, but, for sh- but absolutely without contradiction. The unifying theme is very simply God's undying love for man and his plan for man to have his sins forgiven and brought back into a restored relationship with their creator for all eternity. If I had to say the theme of the Bible from beginning to end, what many people refer to as the scarlet cord of redemption, redemption, the idea behind the scarlet cord is the blood of Jesus Christ and the cord just running through every book of the Bible If I had to put a scripture over the theme of the Bible, it would be John 3.16, wouldn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God's redemptive saving power is everywhere in the scriptures. One of the most beautiful things to do when you're reading the Bible is to find Jesus in the passage. To look for the heart of God through his son, Jesus Christ, all throughout the scriptures. Now, the question is asked, who wrote the Bible? Who wrote the Bible? And there are a few answers that you could offer on who wrote the Bible. Answer number one, you could say that men wrote the Bible, because they did. It was their hands, it was their pen, it was their mind, it was their personality. Yes, men wrote the Bible. But the overarching answer is not that men wrote the Bible. The author of the Bible is God himself. God wrote the Bible, and he used men to jot it down. Let me show you what I mean. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. God wrote the Bible through the agency of men. And we'll begin in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because that is another dismissal of the Bible when you're talking with people. Well, I don't believe in the Bible. Men wrote the Bible. Well, you can answer. You're right. Men wrote the Bible. But oftentimes oftentimes i even had a brother come up after service he was ministering to someone and they came up with the exact same uh resistance this the exact same excuses i don't believe in the bible because you know they get the picture of a of a campfire and like five guys in robes talking about what do you want in the bible what do you want in the bible what do you want in the bible which couldn't possibly be true by the substance of evidence that exists but that is how a lot of people respond no, I don't believe it because it just a bunch of guys got together and wrote the Bible. That's not what happened. It's not a valid excuse or reason not to believe. Here's what the Bible has to say about itself. And that's really what we're doing here. Because another thing, if you're listening in right now, and you might be skeptical or you might be critical, and I'm already beginning to answer some of the things that are on your mind, another one that comes up and says, wait a minute, Pastor, all you're doing is making points and going to the Bible to prove your point. That sounds like circular reasoning. Well, let me explain to you circular reasoning. It's not. Circular reasoning would be this. I wrote the book. I'm making a point, And I'm going to the book to make the point that I already wrote. That's circular reasoning. That's not what we're doing at all. What we're doing is we're allowing a text to be open before us. And we are allowing the text to tell us what it says about itself. And we're declaring that. It's not circular reasoning why well, I'm making the point where you're using the Bible to, to make the point. It's rather the opposite. The Bible exists, and we're allowing it to speak for itself, not circular at all. We're just simply becoming students, just like you would in a college classroom, just like you would in a high school classroom, just like you would in a kindergarten classroom. You're allowing the information to be put out there to discover the truth, and we find the truth in the scriptures. So here's what the Bible says of itself. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you'd like to write in your Bible, circle the word inspiration. Inspiration. It has the idea of being God-breathed. You can write right next to it. God-breathed. Just like God breathed life into the body of Adam... So God also breathed life into the Holy Scriptures to bring forth, what does the Bible say of itself? That the Bible is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Why? Because it's inspired by God. It is literally God breathed through the agency of men. Ed, where do you get that from? Turn over to 1 Timothy. Let me show you. Excuse me, 2 Peter. I got all these scriptures in my head. 2 Peter chapter 1. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. And let me show you. Peter now, a follower of Jesus, seeing the evidence of the presence of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit coming down on the day of Pentecost upon 3,000 unbelievers. They get saved in an instant, baptizing them. The birth of the church, this is what Peter says. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. He says this, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He writes in the present tense, the prophetic word confirmed. We'll get into that in a moment. The Bible's filled with prophetic words that have been confirmed. But verse 21 is key for us now. For prophecy never came by the will of man. That, Peter says, don't even think about men around a campfire deciding to write things down for God. It never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Again, if you like to write in your Bible, circle the word moved and right next to it, carried along. Carried along. It has the picture of, you know, taking maybe a piggyback ride on someone where you are fully cooperating, but you're still you, but they are carrying you along. You're making progress because of their help. It's the same with God in inspiring the scriptures. Men were writing things down, and God carried them along to assure what they wrote down was exactly what he wanted written down without taking away from their personality or their time frame or any of the things that made them holy men of God. The Old Testament claims to be from God over and over again. It claims to be the very words of God. Jot it down. Exodus chapter 24 verse 4 says this, and Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 8 verse 1, it says, moreover the Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen, and I will take for myself faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest, and Zechariah the son of... Over and over again, you can read that. If you do a search, you'll find that over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, we read of the men of God saying something like, God said, or thus saith the Lord. Over and over. In the New Testament, from the New Testament writings, the Old Testament is claimed to be inspired thousands of times. Jesus said it here in John chapter 13. He claims that the scriptures were written by David and yet the scriptures are prophetically from God. 18 of the 22 books in the Jewish Old Testament, when the the Jews collected the... The Old, the Old Testament, we know today is 39 books. They combine many books like Samuel and Kings. So the canon for the Jewish mind is 22. There's 22 Old Testament books as all of them. We've divided them up into 39. But 18 of the 22 books of the Jewish Old Testament are cited in the New Testament. And we can trust the Bible because it was written by God through the agency of man. Holy men, were, holy men spoke and wrote as they were carried along by the Spirit. So there's that cooperation between God and the man that he chose to record for all of history his inspired, infallible word. You know, people do come to the Bible with a lot of concern. They come to the Bible with a lot of criticism, a lot of skepticism, but it's not true, and it's not warranted. For you note-takers, I want you to learn a new word if you don't already know it. Because this is very significant when it comes to the Bible that's in your hand. We here at Calvary believe in something known as the plenary inspiration of the scriptures. It's P-L-E-N-A-R-Y. You maybe never heard of that word. Maybe you never will until eternity. But it's a very important word when it comes to the inspiration of the scriptures. And unfortunately, many people today are debating whether the scriptures are inspired in their totality. That's just what the word plenary means. It means complete. We believe in the complete inspiration of the scriptures. This is what that that means. We believe the Bible contains the word of God for sure, but we believe that the Bible is the word of God. It doesn't just contain the word of God, because if it just contains the word of God, then we can pick and choose which is from God. Well, you know, and the big debate right now is whether Jesus, things that Jesus said, really, he really said that or it was made up or it's just a narrative story to try to get the picture of who Jesus is and just kind of understand his teachings instead of when he says something specifically, he means it. We believe that when Jesus says something, it's recorded in the scriptures, that he means it specifically, completely, not that the Bible just contains the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. And the technical phrase for that is the plenary inspiration of the scriptures. That this is the word of God. Now, we believe in the plenary inspiration of this Bible in its original autographs. And I've mentioned earlier, we don't have the original autographs. Like for many works today. While we don't have them today, we have incredible manuscript evidence that points back to the very days of the originals remember this it's very important the bible doesn't just contain the words of god it is the very word of god and all of the scriptures inspired and profitable remember the promise in revelation in revelation chapter 1 verse 3 blessed is he who reads and those that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near
0: Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. If you'd like to hear the message from the Gospel of John again, visit our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. You can subscribe to the Abounding Grace podcast there too at aboundinggraceradio.com. We also offer an app, which is another great way to listen to Pastor Ed. Just search for Ed Taylor. Each month, we pick out a book we think can really help your walk with the Lord and encourage you in the Lord. Today, we're pleased to offer you another excellent resource. It's a book by E.M. Bounds on prayer. Now, you might think of it as seven books in one, and it contains inspiring reflections on the power of prayer. It's broken down into short chapters, so you can read in bite-sized portions. It's a great way to start the day and an excellent addition to your quiet time with God. Request your copy of the book titled, E.M. Bounds on Prayer, today. To get a copy for a donation of $25 or more, just call us at 877-30-GRACE. That number again, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. And we also want to remind you that we are listener-supported. Abounding Grace airs all across the nation on stations like this one. But in order to do this, we look to our listeners to help cover some of the costs. You can make a secure donation on our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. Just click on Donate. Or if you'd rather call, here's the number. 877-30-GRACE. Well, Pastor Ed, next time we're together, you're going to point out four pieces of evidence that will serve to build our faith in the trustworthiness of the Bible. Can you give our listeners an idea of what you'll be talking about?
1: Yes, Larry. This is a powerful Bible study, really more informational than our typical Bible studies that are very applicational because you've got to know that you can trust your Bible. That, that is probably the main target of the enemy because if he can undermine the Bible, then everything else will be undermined, right? So all you need to do is learn a word, maps, M-A-P-S. And the way to remember that is just the way to, to have that stuck in your mind is that most of our Bibles have maps in the back. And if you can use the word maps, then you can remember four keys to the believability and authenticity of the Bible in your hand. And I'll give them to you really quickly. Ready? Manuscript evidence, archaeological evidence, prophetic evidence, and statistical probability evidence. And I explain them in depth in our future Bible studies. You're gonna to have to listen to the Bible studies on our app, too, because the radio program, especially if you're driving or something, is gonna go really fast. But I'm telling you, you will be equipped. It is always good to teach these studies to our church here because once you have confidence in the Bible, you're gonna have confidence in the author, you're gonna have confidence in your life, and you'll be able to say, hey, man, somebody comes to try to undermine the Bible or add to it or subtract to it, you go, hey, wait a minute. Do you even know the manuscript evidence? Do you even understand archaeology? Do you know we can go to Israel today and see the places that are mentioned in the Bible? I can put my feet there with my lit I can literally touch the dirt there and on and on the list goes. It's pretty confident. By the way, if your church takes people to Israel, save up and go. It is worth your investment. But that's a different topic for a different
0: question, right, Larry? Thanks for asking. God bless you. Again, that's coming up on the next Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. See you then. This is amazing grace.